This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. The Huskies Warming House podcast is also brought to you by the Soda Pod, home of MNCAA college hockey news and more. Stay wild and up to date with new episodes throughout every week. Find them on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and other podcast platforms. And welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode 180 here in the Dan Nick Max and Noah Grant alongside. And uh, we are quote unquote into the hockey season, if you will, here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. We have a women's hockey recap to talk about. And I'll tell you what, uh, Nick, as far as scoring is concerned, there was uh, no lacking for uh, the women's team here on the St. Cloud side this weekend in their exhibition games. A very good showing. Nick, you were there. So So not exhibition games. Uh, They're actually, you know, non-conference games. Non-conference, yeah. But, you know, it's it's not that they scored. It's the ways they were scoring them, right? Um, They were creative in the offensive zone. They were bringing the puck in. They were, you know, creating offense. They were using the width of the ice. I mean, and they were possessing the puck. Um, And more importantly, the defense, the handcuffs are off. And uh, as we talked uh, to a couple of players after Sunday's game in the press conference, um, that is part of the game plan. Brian Adolski not only you know, once he actually expects all five players in the ice to contribute into the offensive zone, which is something we've never heard really. So at the end of it, um, let's, let's say it this way, Noah, um, a lot of the other upper echelon teams in the WCHA, this is the sort of the systems that they run. Um, exciting times coming up for this women's squad. You know, it's not that they just scored 10 goals on the weekend. It was the matter in which they did. They defended really well. Um, Granted, Union College has had their struggles in the past, but um, Union competed hard. They were trying to get underneath the skin. There was a couple of after the whistle pushing and some skirmishes. But um, at the end of the day, this St. Cloud team looks poised uh, to, shall we say, make some noise. I I really do believe that uh, just by watching them play this weekend. Well, when you talk about Brian Adolski, um, there must be something in the coffee, um, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's very <laughs> much a coffee kind of, yeah, very much a coffee connoisseur from all different areas. The man's got, you know, you know how like people, you know, they they pick and choose and build their own, you know, PCs. He's mm-hmm. doing that, but just with his coffee. I mean, it's kind of a fun little. Uh, yeah, and it's it was kind of a funny little afterthought because you know the last couple of times I've covered the women's team, you know press conference it's 10 o'clock at night or four o'clock in the afternoon and it's a fresh cup of hot joe that's in his cup and you know when you're drinking black coffee at 10 o'clock at night 
during a press conference, I, I had to ask him about it. Um, and it's a, a Costa Rican blend, apparently, or a Costa Rican bean. And it's a dark roast. And apparently he gets them from North Dakota and, and he calls himself a coffee snob. So I would imagine that those beans aren't uh, your, your off-the-shelf store-bought generic stuff. I, I can only imagine he probably pays a premium for that coffee. And uh, well, whatever he's drinking, it's working. And um, I, I guess everybody else is drinking the proverbial coffee in the locker room, too, because this team is looking really good for the first weekend. A premium pay for a premium roast, I guess. I, yeah. I'm not really sure. You know, 10 o'clock at night, though, that's about on par with my schedule and my work schedule at that point. But, uh, yeah, obviously, speaking of work schedules here, uh, um, the St. Cloud State Huskies on the men's side looking to get to work here, and they are going to be uh, without another potential commit for the foreseeable future here. Uh, some rumblings on social media about a commit that will not be coming to St. Cloud uh, in the next coming years. We are going to talk about that. And then we have our preview for the last NCHC team that is not related to St. Cloud State as well. And it is a team that we do have picked at number one in the conference. We did agree with the media poll from NCHC Media Day. By the way, in case you were curious, we will talk about NCHC Media Day. Nick was there as well, too. We're going to hold off until next week because both St. Cloud teams do not play this weekend. So it seems a little bit more fitting with some downtime, quote-unquote. We will be previewing the women's team next week as well, too. So we move on to the St. Cloud side of things, our final two previews after this week as well, too. So... You won't want to miss it. We'll get started with episode 180, as we always do. Center Ice View, news and notes presented by HuskiesIllustrated.com and The Soda Pod. Center Ice View, news and notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to CenterIceView.com. Welcome into the main portion of the show. Nick Max and Noah Grant here for episode 180. And uh, Nick, I, I suppose uh, dealer's choice, so to speak here. I, before, I guess before we get to that, I, I, I do have to ask, by the way, you've been to NCHC Media Day. You were calling St. Cloud State Women's Hockey here. Uh, it's it, We're kind of at that point where it must feel good, I, I would think, on your end to finally get back in the swing of things, finally get back into the hockey season and kind of, you know, dip your toe in for the first time into the new 2023-24 season. It does. You know, it kind of sneaks up on us pretty quick. You know, ironically, you know, when we do a show every week and we're previewing teams and, you know, it's, it's just weird because all of a sudden you're getting emails for media day and then you're having conversations about, you know, your availability for broadcasts and, you know, it, it all sort of just your phone goes from nothing to 100 pretty quickly. Um, but it feels good. Um, feels good to speak to some of the coaches and the players again for the NCHC media day. I know we're going to get more in depth in that next week, but then again, going right into the women's hockey season who started off this past weekend, uh, impressively. So right. Uh, getting back in the booth and being able to work the pipes again, uh, it is a good feeling uh, to know that, uh, you know, the winter is coming per se, which actually yeah. kind of sucks, but, uh, hockey season is here and, uh, it's going to be a good year. Again, uh, a, a lot of things to look forward to and, uh, glad that things are getting going. 
Yeah, absolutely. The women's team picked to uh, uh, start the preseason polls 13th in the country, according to the rankings. Of course, like we said, we'll preview them next week. We have them at number five for the WCHA. If you haven't figured it out by now on the men's side, St. Cloud will slot in at number two in our NCHC uh, pairings here with Denver at number one. So we'll compare our list to NCHA media day. Ironically enough, um, besides North Dakota and Denver last year, we were exactly identical with NCHC Media Day. This year, not the case not at all. Uh, yeah, very much different. So, but speaking of the men's team, Nick, I mean, maybe that's as pertinent of a place to start here a little bit early. I uh, some announcements basically had some savvy Twitter viewers paying attention to the Fargo Force, who are probably poised to have another good year this year. Um, noticing that Leo Gruba's name on the back end was not carrying that St. Cloud logo and that commitment for the upcoming season. Uh, a lot of question marks coming out of that. And I, I, I think I, most notably, the first thing that was confirmed is yes, he did. He did actually decommit from St. Cloud. So mm-hmm. um, that is uh, what we know at this time um, from a source that I have talked to very close with the team. Um, and again, I, I don't want to, we haven't heard it from the horse's mouth. I think it's important to lay that out first is that Leo has not made a statement on this of any kind. So it, there is still that possibility that the story has been changed in some fashion. And I want to put that disclaimer out there because as much as I believe in who I've talked to, again, we haven't heard it from Leo himself. So there could still be other caveats to this as well. But from what I have understood, and we'll get more into what this has meant for St. Cloud in recent years and the talk of the number 13, you want to talk about that number in a different light. We'll discuss that in a second. But the conversation that I have heard is, um, and and rightfully so, when we talked um, earlier on about how we believe some of these freshmen that were going to come in this season, we believe that he was a guy that was probably a yes or very likely to enter the fold. And if it wasn't going to be this year, it was definitely going to be next year. I mean, he's a player who can definitely play. We were a little bit surprised. He didn't make the jump this year. Um, Apparently the conversation is he really loves playing in Fargo. He really loves playing for that program, playing for the force. And I know a lot of people, first of all, would say, well, you know, but you could play division one hockey. There are guys that they're at the level that they're at. They enjoy what they're doing. They're not, they're not rushing the process, so to speak. I, he's one of those guys. Obviously, his dad, you know, played at St. Cloud State and knows the process of moving to the, the Division One level. If he felt like he enjoyed it in Fargo, that was his call. From what I've been told is that St. Cloud expected the same thing we did, was for him to make the jump this season. He did not. And apparently they were a little bit disgruntled with that. From what I've been told is that they had expected him to make the jump. were a little bit frustrated that he didn't. And then he was kind of at that point where now they're frustrated with him for not making this jump. There's a little bit of tension there. And he just kind of said, you know what? I don't feel right with this. I don't feel comfortable with this. I'm going to look at other avenues. And he decommitted from St. Cloud. I know it's not the most glamorous thing that people were maybe thinking when you know you first hear about the decommit from a guy who clearly probably could have played on this roster this year again he really i would imagine would be at worst a bottom pairing guy to start the season um and suddenly he's not going to be in a saint cloud sweater uh nick for those who are looking for a little bit more flash here i i guess one is there more flash do you think behind the scenes or is, is is there another you know kind of direction that we can you know you know twist this um, 100% to me, there's more flash to this. Um, 
because to me, and, and I think we should put this out there, uh, Noah, is that you know when I've seen the the social media conversations, I'm sure you have too. Oh, Sinclouds lost 13 commits. Well, first of all, let's define commit. If you just verbally commit to something, you're technically not binded to that program, right? Yeah. Um, so I find that a little bit misleading. Number one. Because let's be honest, some of these kids are, you know, verbally committing at age 17. Some of them go on to play another two years of high school, plus another two years of juniors. A lot of things can change, right? Yep. And they can even change in the span of a year, right? So I, I I find that kind of a hilarious talking point, if you want my personal opinion. But when you examine, assuming your story and your sources have this dead on, right? And we don't have a reason to not believe it, but we don't, like you said, have it directly from Leo or from St. Cloud. So we're going with what we're being told and assuming it's true again, we don't know for sure. Um, to me, there's more behind this because it, you and I both know Brett Larson and that coaching staff as being very open, being very, you know, we want to, you know, that open door policy per se. And if there's anything that, College hockey program, especially at the Division One level, want is once the book closes on one season, as tough as it is to transition, you're really opening the next chapter the next day, right? Yes. And a lot of that is touching bases with those recruits, and you know you, you have your draft board if you want to call it right of where your expectations are. I gotta wonder if something changed in Leo's side, yeah. right? And it's not nefarious. You know, yep. it's not like it was intentional, but I do get the sense that if St. Cloud is as emotionally as invested to be upset about this decision, that tells me that at some point down the line, they must have either A, been told or Leo must have been given them an indication that, yes, I'm coming before perhaps making a switch. That's yep. what I read, right? Now, again, he's got every right to do that. Yep. Right. You know, you get one chance to play junior hockey. Now, some people will come back and say, well, he's got one chance to play division one. Hey, you haven't you don't start your clock until you get on campus. Right. So mm -hmm. at the end of it, like you said, you know, some people want to live out your entire eligibility. Some players like, say, a Jack Peer, they have a cup of coffee in the USHL and then make it on as a true freshman. Every player gets that choice to make. Right. But from what we think we know um, from Noah is that, you know, whatever conversation took place, both sides don't seem to be very happy with each other to the point where Leo might be looking elsewhere. Now, obviously, he's still technically a free agent. Does that mean, you know, the sides could not come back? Sure. Is it likely? Most likely not. Um, that's how I read into it. I don't know if you agree yeah. with me on this, but, you know, and at the end of the day, every player has their own you know, path to division one hockey, those that get that opportunity and the other conversations that drive me nuts is you're trying to group this all into one sort of generic, you know, you know, cause effect type thing. And I just, I don't buy that at all. Yeah, definitely. And you know, it, the thing that it comes down to, again, we talked a little bit about timelines too, right? Don't forget St. Cloud had a late addition uh, and by late, we mean kind of middle of the summer on the defensive side too. Could that have played into, you know, the hand of where suddenly St. Cloud was surprised by the decision and had expected him to be there? Suddenly he's not, and now they're trying to make sure they fill a roster spot with another body um, that maybe they were going to wait on another year, for example, too. On the other side, I totally agree with you. It's a decision that is his to make. He doesn't have to go anywhere. Um, 
And I'm really glad that you you brought up the point about, uh, you know, the the overall discussion. Oh, that 13 commits, uh, you know, in the last four years have not, you know, showed up. For example, you brought up a really good name that we've gotten a chance to watch in the Null, and that's Chase Beacom, who, of course, yep. is a, a great guy and, you know, a very hard worker, good hockey player, but really didn't have the couple of seasons that St. Cloud really was expecting him to maybe have at that level. Suddenly, you know, the discussion becomes, you know, it's not... Uh, it's kind of the opposite. It's, hey, you know, we still have interest in you. You're welcome to come in and try, but we don't see you in the roster spot that we had discussed previously, or we need more from you, or we need to have you, you know, have another year. And guys look and say, well, Clarkson told me they were going to give me a full ride. So suddenly you, you start and look at that as, I shouldn't say it like that, but I mean, it's, you start looking at other programs, you're like, maybe this is a different fit you know, where I could look somewhere else and maybe play somewhere else. And, you know, the player thinks to go another direction. The other piece of this too, in Leo Gruba's case specifically here, and I don't know how much bearing this has had, but let's not forget, by the way, with the recent coaching turnover a little bit for St. Cloud on the assistant coach, associate coach side of things. Um, Nick Oliver, of course, was in Fargo. Now mm-hmm. he's moving over to Wisconsin from every, every player that I've talked to, uh, you know, that has played under Nick that is playing with the force currently, or people who have been close to that organization. They all said that he was a fantastic coach and everybody loved him. So I don't know who recruited Leo. I don't know who was the first one to get him at that position in the first place to say, Hey, do you want to come play for us at St. Cloud? Was Nick Oliver still with the Huskies at that point? I'm not really sure what the answer is there. You know, is there some connection where maybe he's thinking about looking in that direction? I so someone on Twitter humorously said maybe Wisconsin. I, let's be honest, Leo Gruba could make that Badger lineup yes, potentially. You know, like yes, could. so. I mean, there's a lot of facets at play here. Um, like I said, if you take it at face value. Um, and if it is true that St. Cloud was a little over aggressive in trying to get their guy and kind of turn him away, you know, from whatever's going on, you know, then that's that's a really tough look for this program. I am, yeah. but, but but what but what I'm trying to say is, I, I like you said with the coaching staff, I I don't know that that's necessarily the case. No. I wonder if it's maybe more a little bit of they had this perception he was coming, he's not. They're like, boy, you know, like, you know, we'd really like to have you here. You know, we're really high on you, that sort of thing. Leo's kind of maybe feeling the pressure of trying to make this decision, realizes, you know what? I just, I feel uncomfortable with the situation. I just kind of want to back out and reassess my options and play another year in Fargo. You know, it might just be as simple as that, where it's like a little bit of not miscommunication, but like uncertain communication. It just kind of yeah. just push things in a different direction. I don't really know. And you know I, what? I, I think what it comes down to, I mean, wishing Leo the best of luck. It would be great to see him in a St. Cloud sweater. Of course, his father played for the Huskies in the mid nineties. Um, it would be awesome. He's a tough loss for this program. So I think that's why everybody is up in arms because he is a great hockey player, but there's a lot of these verbal commits, like you said, that are on the other side that, it's hard to, with the transfer portal, with the COVID rules, with everything else to put a lot of stock in this. And what we've seen ultimately out of this time period in the last four years, there's a lot of guys who have been dead set on playing for a program and suddenly a year later, or even in the moment, they flip and go to another program just like that. I mean, it has been. Ask Mankato State. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, so there could be so many things that are going on here. That's the story that I've been told by someone very close to the team. Don't know how much you want to pull out of it, but. 
Well, Anil, let's let's take it one step further, right? You know, again, Leo's case is unique, and I think we need to keep that in mind okay. as we we talk about recruits. And again, until that NLI is signed, it's just sure I'll come. That's really all it is, right? That's really all you're doing. Granted, in today's age of social media and whatnot, God, if you and I had that back, God, we'd be dead. Um, <laughs> but I mean, seriously, right? I think the perception that people make is when they, sh- you know, following or unfollowing on Instagram or making, you know, that Twitter or X announcement that that's sort of some official binding agreement when the reality it's not. Right. I think it just yep. comes off as a more of an official announcement than it actually is. Right. So I think that complicates matters, especially for the for the general public. The other thing is, and I think, you know, you were sort of leading into this, but let's take Chase, Chase Beacon, for example. Right. Not to say that this is ex- indeed what happened. Right. But mind you, junior hockey at whatever level, it's a development league. Right. And uh, for some of these players that may be committed in high school, for example, a couple of Koski recruits currently, how about Nolan Road, right, for White Bear, uh, from White Bear Lake, and now going over to the USHL, number one center um, on his team right now. I forget exactly where he's at. But my point being is, you know, let's just say that he looks the part, right? He's getting that ice time, he's getting that role that uh, the Huskies want. And just for whatever reason, you just don't develop further in your game to the point where, you know, the Huskies envision him to be in that spot, right? It goes both ways. Um, yep. I'm not saying that's what happened with Leo. Again, his case is a little bit different. Again, I, again, if you're asking my personal opinion, I don't think there was a miscommunication. I truly believe if, if the Huskies were this upset, and this is true, I truly get the idea that he probably said at some point during this last year he was coming and whether you call it a change of heart or whether, again, he's relishing in his junior hockey eligibility, which again, are totally fine. But I can't imagine St. Cloud being upset if there was even a shadow of a, shall we say, a doubt that they knew about. I just, I get the sense that they really did expect him to come. We're probably told at some point he was coming and then perhaps maybe quote unquote, or blindsided. Again, we don't know yeah. at the end of the day. The player gets that choice. St. Cloud obviously has, you know, licked their wounds and moved on. Um, but again, you can also understand too, from the fans' perspective, ours um, that watch and follow the game, and from St. Cloud, you understand the talent of this young man, and you know how this this one stings a little bit more, just because yep. it seems like maybe there possibly wasn't enough communication. Uh, maybe the role that they talked about after the season had changed and maybe there's some avenues there. We just don't know. At the end of it, Leo Gruba is not a St. Cloud commit. And uh, again, this is not an uncommon thing in college hockey, yeah. right? It just stinks that his caliber of talent is, from what it all seems, not coming to St. Cloud at some point in the future. Yeah, and it's not something that I want to probe too deeply. And I and what I mean by that is, you know, obviously some connections, you know, had you know some of the players that are on that team skate with us in the summer. And and at the end of the day, it's not something that I want to poke and prod about because it's Leo's story to tell, and it's his decision that right. that he's allowed to make. And it's like, you know, we really, it, it's not really our purview necessarily to you know, pull out that information if it's not something that he wants to talk about. So, um, like I said, 
It's done. Yeah, yeah so. it is. Um, what's uh, also done is uh, part of my French are total ass kicking by the St. Cloud State yeah. women's team last weekend. Yes. Uh, 10 to 1 combined scores here uh, for this St. Cloud women's team. Uh, on Saturday, they win 6 to 1. Uh, and then on Sunday, they win 4 to nothing. A great showing for this program. Uh, of course, we start on Saturday, Nick. Uh, shots 36 to 20 in favor of the Huskies, including uh, a pair of 15 spots in the first and third period, respectively. Very good numbers to start the season. Yeah. Two goals in the first, one in the second, three in the third. Uh, Union's lone tally came in the second on the power play late into that uh, period. Uh, Dale Ross uh, scoring. Emma Gentry had two in that first contest. Uh, three points total yeah grace wolf uh katie kaufman on the power play and avery farrell all finding the back of the net uh clara himlarova um telling a point as well so good to see uh upperclassmen uh speaking of multi-point games by the way uh grace wolf multi-point game ella onik multi-point game for her as well too so um St. Cloud going two for four on the power play um by the way um mm -hmm. and having much uh much better success than last season in the faceoff dot 34 um, wins, 24 losses in that grouping. And uh, um, as far as goaltending wise, Jojo Choback obviously doing a very good job stopping uh, 19 of 20 that she faced in that first contest, Nick. Um, this was a game from start to finish. I mean, you're looking at success in the faceoff dot. You're looking at success on special teams. You're looking at goaltending. You're looking at goal scoring here, Nick. Uh, killing off two of three penalties against uh, Union gets the one power play goal for their lone marker on the weekend, Nick. All things considered, not a bad start to the weekend for St. Cloud on that Saturday. No, and I think Brian Adelski said he felt like the first period was a little flat and uh, can't say I disagree with that assessment. I, he also said that in game number two, um, also would not disagree with um, his observations. But um Again, St. Cloud, when they got their feet moving, um, this team was a well-oiled machine. You could really see it. Uh, he was rolling four lines for most of that game. Um, and more importantly, game number one, four of the six defensemen registering a point. Yeah. Um, and again, that's going to be a theme that, you know, is going to continue throughout the season and something that, let's put it this way, from the time that we certainly have covered it, but going back quite a while, Huskies have never really had an offensive threat from the blue line really in a while and uh it's it's not just the fact that they have the talent but it's part of their game plan and uh we're going to see that as we go through the season and this is just a completely different uh team offensively this year even compared to a year ago which was better defensively still better in some areas of the ice but now it feels like it's a more of a complete team not to say that that they're most talented but now they've got some firepower not just a pushback um, they've got a they got a shovel, they got a bulldozer. Um, they're actually able to push pace of play to control things and to really, shall we say, own the time of possession and really the offensive chances. It's something that I know you and I, since covering this squad, have really looked forward to the day to seeing. And that day might be here already. Really good effort on Friday. Yeah, attendance of 550 um, on that first night, by the way. On Sunday, attendance 315. The Huskies win 4-0. Uh, they were up at 
by that score after two periods of play, two in the first, two in the second, uh, out shooting Union uh, by a, a tally of 38 to 19. Uh, mm-hmm. Huskies perfect on the PK, four for four on the kill, one for five on the power play themselves. It was kind of a more penalty heavy um, game in that second contest, all things considered. Multi point games from uh, Avery Farrell, uh, Ella Onik again. Uh, Clara Hemlerova tallies her first goal of the season. Uh, Taylor Lind is on the board as well, too. Um, CeCe Bowlby quietly had uh, a good multi-point weekend as well for her. So, And Laura Zimmerman on the board as well in that second game. So, like I said, um, much more uh, balanced attack. Ironically enough, Nick, you don't see this very often. The Huskies' first goal of each of the first two periods in this game came at the exact same minute mark of 9.58. So kind of a weird little quirk there if you want to. Yeah, Sonia Hola, perfect 19 for 19 uh, in between the pipes for the Huskies. And uh, Nick, if uh, the first game gave you any hope or excitement, the second game was a great bookend on a, a solid weekend. Yeah, and you know, you got to tip your cap to the union. They were, you could see the frustration and they were getting into the face of the Huskies, especially in front of their own net. They were crashing into Sonia Hola quite a few times. Um and good for players like Emma Gentry and even Ella Onik. Uh, they pushed back. They got their players away from their netminder who, you know, Sonia Hall, the one thing that I, I know when you watch her game, if you're a goaltending, you know, fiasco, which I'm not going to claim I am, but her rebound control, <laughs> super, super good, right? She wasn't giving up second or third um, opportunities there in front of the crease. So she does make it easier for the defenseman. But again, Union was pushing. Um, and they were doing whatever they could do to try to get underneath the skin of the Huskies. I thought emotionally they kept things in check. They definitely didn't get pushed around in their own building either. So they held serve, put the numbers on the scoreboard when they needed to. And uh, again, defensively still very rock solid. Uh, great transition. Uh, again, very solid at their own blue line, attacking, uh, basically forcing them to give up the puck. And those 19 shots, a lot of them in very low scoring areas too. So a complete effort. Again, they kept their foot in the gas, get to to get the first series sweep of the year. And uh, again, just weathered the storm of, uh, uh, you could tell you in college, a little frustration in game number two, especially toward the end of the first when things just weren't going their way. Yeah, Huskies also doing well in the faceoff dot, by the way. 32 out of the 57 total faceoffs in the contest as well. Good uh, success in puck possession from the drop of the puck, literally and figuratively. Um, Nick, Hot. wow. Uh, yeah, a, a great start for this program, Nick. I, I think that, you know, we talked about them trying to get the ball rolling early and making sure that they were ready, you know, in that first weekend, really just to kind of set the tone, regardless of what the results were, that they were playing the right way, Nick. And I think that that's kind of where I want to go here. You know, when you got a chance to see this team in their first weekend of the season, uh, and you've kind of alluded to it a little bit here, I it, it wasn't necessarily just what we just talked about on the stat sheet. It really was the pace of play, the methodology, uh, the structure behind it, Nick. I, I guess if you had to pull one thing that you like to see improve for this team and one thing that you felt was highly successful for this group and a really promising sign early, what would you uh, pull out of last weekend? Um, Holy cow, the offensive zone possession was much better than I've ever seen this program have. Uh, More importantly, they just, they look like a five-woman unit um, out there. The defensemen were active. Uh, so they were involved in all of the opportunities offensively. They got the green light to jump into the rush. We saw it a few different times. Um, so that to me is the biggest improvement that you saw week one is offensively 
they're an actual unit. Um, it's not just three skaters. It doesn't look like they're, shall we say, carrying the puck just for the sake of carrying it. They're carrying it with a purpose. Um, the players without the puck are uh, going into those dirty areas. Um, again, they're going into the zone in layers too. So there's passing lanes available and not just filling in space, right? They're using their motioning and there's, and essentially their lanes to create passing lanes too, right? So at the end of it, they're finally starting to organically create their own offense. And that's not something we've seen from the Huskies in quite some time uh, to clean up. Uh, sometimes a little bit in the defensive zone. I felt like sometimes they maybe over pursued just a little bit. Um, that is very easily correctable. Um, still very, very staunch in front of their blue paint. Um, but I feel like at times, just because again, this team is still 15 new faces, right? Um, and even Ella, um, um, Annika, excuse me. It's been a long weekend. I apologize. Um, yeah, uh, the defenseman even after the game said, you know, we want to clean up a little bit defensively. Uh, felt like they, you know, they probably got away with a couple of chances. But um, from my broadcast booth location, yeah, a couple, but few and far, you're never going to have a perfect game. Uh, but also really good at the point of attack. Again, uh, gap control was really good. They wasn't an easy entry. And uh, at the end of the day, they really just kind of, grinded down the union in their own defensive zone by having that puck on their sticks in the offensive zone. So uh, clean up a little bit defensively, but overall offensively, very much impressed with what I've seen so far. Sure. Call union, not the greatest team. Hey, they competed this weekend. Again, they didn't roll over. Um, they get a week off to sort of review some film and clean things up. And then it's over to Mercyhurst. And then, it's right to WCHA action. So they, they don't get much time to get prepped for, uh, shall we say, a, a very difficult schedule coming up here for the Huskies. Yeah, you beat me to the punch. A week off for this team, October 6th and 7th, they do pay, they do play Mercyhurst, and then it is Bemidji State to start their NCHC or NCHC, WCHA, I should say. Um, the reason I have NCHC stuck in my head is, of course, we are talking media day next week uh, and getting ready to preview this women's team uh, and talking about them and uh, them and basically all their glory, so to speak, uh, and actually doing the full St. Cloud State preview on the women's side. Then after that, when we get back into Huskies action, we will be doing game recaps and uh, basically talking about each of the teams throughout the rest of the season. Not to say we won't sprinkle in stories if they're not pertinent uh, as far as college hockey between the WCHA and NCHC, but really um, we are getting down to the wire here and getting ready to talk about our Huskies through and through uh, until the end of the regular season and playoffs for both of these squads. So uh, the last team that is not St. Cloud related that we will flip on over to right now, uh, the number one team that we have picked in the NCHC, the Denver Pioneers, and for good reason, they finished in that spot last season, Nick. Uh, a very good team. And uh, yeah, let's get it rocking and rolling uh, for our preview for the Pioneers. Uh, not only number one in the NCHC poll, but number one in the national polls, right? Uh, yeah. This team is uh, well-respected and rightfully so, right? Um, Noah, let's just review last season a bit. I mean, just by some of the numbers. Um, again, this team was the overall favorite except for us last year for whatever reason. Um, but uh, but not only, you know, and again, you ask the coaches, preseason polls mean absolutely nothing. I get it. Um, but Denver, again, on the ice, proved that they're the team to beat, and they'll have to prove it again this year. Again, as you know, it, it's, it's tough enough to climb the mountain, Noah, but as any coach would tell you, it's even more difficult to keep your spot at top of the mountain. Because mind you, Denver had a pretty good year until really the playoffs came around, and then they weren't the same team. 
Yeah, they definitely weren't. Some goaltending, uh, you know, injuries or under the weather type things moving late into the season were certainly challenging. But 30-10-0 last season, I mean, 19-5 and in conference play. I mean, this team was the was the was the one group that was you know at the end of the season pulled away from the pack and really kind of asserted their dominance uh in the nchc uh until it did hit crunch time again they they went into the nchc playoffs the frozen face off and then it was like ooh, like it, you know is there something to be said for this group i mean they lose obviously you know one to nothing to colorado college and then it was like like okay maybe just a weird little blip in the road we'll have to see but you know there were strategy because they did the same thing the year prior well yeah exactly and i'll 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 throw this out you know for good measure you know i was one of the few people that picked cornell to beat denver just based on what we saw we were really when we did our brackets it was like i i don't know about this du team and we ended up being proved right a two to nothing loss that ended their season against cornell early on in the ncaa's and the ncaa championship repeat bid was not to be uh for a team that was uh so good though 22 and 0 when scoring first nick they were 8 and 10 when the opponent got on the board first so i mean if this team was not in the driver's seat uh, the road was a little rocky and bumpy, actually below 500, obviously, according to that statistic here. Um, same thing when they outshot their opponent, they were 24 and four, five and five when being outshot. So if you were able to, you know, it sounds obvious if you were able to play this team tight, you were able to have a chance. But if you were able to be, I, it's from what I would say, opportunistic, I mean, still eight and three in one goal contest. So you had to find a way to keep them in check. But, um, you know, great record at home still pretty good on the road but when it counted most uh, for whatever reason this team as uh, as you got deeper and deeper into games we had this conversation with ohio state on the women's side last week is that if you were able to get them in a spot where they were either tied or trailing after the first 20 minutes of play you had a chance against this denver team I, I what do you pull out from this uh this group that outscored opponents 150 to 86 in the season outshot them by over 250 shots total over the course of the season i uh, this is a denver team that on paper you look at and say they should have been deadly they didn't feel that way when we pushed past the first round matchup they had against miami they got to the frozen faceoff and suddenly the chinks in the armor were a little more evident than we had thought i guess uh, you know, I, I didn't buy that right away. And the reason I say that Noah is, you know, when I watched the previous years, they won the, the year they won the national championship. Um, now granted, again, I'm not a hockey scholar, but when you watch Denver play, you know, the systems that they employ, they did not employ those things, uh, in the frozen face off. And let's just say that, although not directly said, right, there was an, a very subtle implication by David Carl that their sights were set on a bigger prize than the NCHC frozen faceoff. Granted, it looks a lot better when you actually go on and win the national championship. Um, I kind of got the same feeling again with Denver and Colorado College, right? Now, I'm not certainly taking anything away that Colorado College did, right? Because that, you know, maybe was. A, a blip for Denver, but that victory over the pioneers that put him into an NCHC tournament championship game was huge for that program in terms of, um, you know, essentially trying to get to what they've been building over the past couple of years with Chris may at the home. Obviously we'll talk more about that in uh, media day next week, but you know, I got the sense they were doing the same thing. 
And then I remembered something. This team had some injuries down the stretch. Yep. And they also were a team that, if you look at their point stretch, and we'll get to some of the individual stats here in a moment here, Noah, um, they were top-heavy a little bit. And it got and it got to the point where when some of those key guys were down, all of a sudden your your shell is your deadly scoring punch got a little bit thinner, right? And there's one thing that we've seen from teams in the past is that you can have the best top six in the world, but if your bottom six is, for lack of a better word, not productive, you know, in the playoffs, you pay attention to those top six. It's your game plan to neutralize them as best you can. If you do that, you got yourself a chance. Cornell did exactly that. And let's not forget that Cornell was sort of came out of nowhere too. They were kind of almost dead to rights in their conference championship, came back in pretty insane fashion to win theirs. And so they were riding some hot momentum, right? So I don't know if you want to call it a perfect storm for Denver, but you know they came in a little banged up, weren't the same team. Cornell came in firing in all cylinders, a lot of confidence, kind of playing with you know the the house money mentality. And uh, Denver bows out in the first NCAA game, and and I mean, you agree with that? Yeah, and you didn't know what you were going to get for the goaltending situation with Magnus Krona and Matt Davis, of course, the senior and sophomore, respectively. Krona, uh, a 2-1-9 goals against and a 9-16 across 32 contests, had 22 wins, 9 losses. Matt Davis, only one loss uh, and 8 wins for him, had a 177 and a 925. Uh, again, maybe strength of schedule for both of those goaltenders, potential factor in that, obviously. But, yeah, I mean, this team was, uh, you know, in large part, very successful. They're actually, um, interestingly enough, Nick, there was only one team all last season that had a winning record in conference play against Denver. Any idea who it was? CC? It was actually St. Cloud State. St. Cloud took three oh. of four from these Denver Pioneers. Uh, they win in November, a three to four victory uh, due to the Huskies in over or a four to three victory, sorry, in overtime. Uh, and then the next night, the, the Huskies lose three to two. Uh, following oh, that up. Right? Yep. And then following that up in the middle of January, the Huskies win seven, three and two, nothing against these Pioneers. To put that in perspective, I. Uh, like we talked about uh, with their record, 30 and 10, that uh, that is three losses out of the 10 right there. That's almost 30, you know, a third and three repeating for those yeah, doing math. Yeah, it's I was say I was gonna say it was almost 30%, and then I realized it actually would be 30%. Um only other time they were swept last season, uh, by the way, was UMass of all teams who had a very oh, poor, early, that's right. poor year, all things considered. Uh, Omaha had a three to nothing win uh, in November. Uh, they didn't lose in the month of December. They lost three to one against uh, the Nanooks of Alaska on January 6th. And at first we thought, wow, is that a shocking result? But then we realized that Alaska was actually a pretty decent team last season. Uh, and then losing only once in the month of February, a 6-5 barn burner uh, against Duluth at home. Um, yeah, I mean, you just look at the win streaks here. They start off with three wins on the season. They lose two. They win four, single loss to the Huskies. They win three. They lose a single game against Omaha. And every time they lost games, they came back and won by a considerable margin in a lot of these contests. Same with that game against Omaha. Uh, they end up winning seven straight uh, heading into January. Lose to the Nanooks. They win three and lose two. January was by far their least productive month as far as uh, wins and losses are concerned. Winners of five straight. They lose to Duluth. And then, uh, Nick, they win another six 
uh, including that first round against Miami. And suddenly just, you know, weren't able to put it together. And, you know, what's interesting, we talked about the dominance of the NCHC, Denver, no exception, of course, national championship the year before. We've talked about Western Michigan, for example, their recent uh, woes after finding success in the NCAAs the year before. Omaha is still looking to kind of jump over jump over that gap a little bit. Uh, St. Cloud State, you know, kind of up and down potentially here. This kind of gives you an idea of where the NCHC um, truly is a gauntlet. And even for a team that pulls away like Denver did last season, there is so much to be said for how the NCHC beats up on each other, which prepares them well for tournament time, but also sometimes puts them puts teams in a difficult spot because of how hard the road is to get to that point to win a Penrose in the NCHC. I this Denver team, Nick, it just it, it's interesting um, for a group that, like we said, you know, you score 150 goals in the regular season, and in your last two contests, you're outscored three to nothing. Very low scoring margins. Teams that maybe on paper didn't have a lot of business beating you, even in a playoff scenario, but they did. And I guess I. My question to you before you kind of kick it back to our next little part of this here, if you're David Carl, like what do you take away from that schedule? What do you take away from kind of a bitter taste after what has otherwise been a really great season? I'm not sure you can do much about it, right, Noah, because at the end of the day, the NCHC is always a tough contest. It's a gauntlet every regular season, right? But you can't control the schedule, right? You can't. You have to go out and you have to take it game by game. You know, and I, I think if you ask any of the coaches in this conference, I think, you know, obviously you would like a winning record, but I think you'd like to get there healthy too, which is tough um, in this conference, right? And obviously St. Cloud knows that sometimes it's not even an on-ice incident where it can kind of put things on the rails a little bit um, when uh, uh, their captain uh, goes down, uh, you know, uh, with a knee injury. So at the end of the day, um I, you know, sometimes this is the way that's hockey, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not sure because you can't approach it differently, right? And again, I, I truly think that over the last couple of years that David Carl has, that's been his MO. Obviously, you know, as a coach, you're never going to come out and say it, but I really do feel like the frozen faceoff, you get there and then it seems like, okay, we can play, but let's make sure we're healthy kind of a thing. We got bigger fish to fry. Not to say that, you're trying to give away the game, but I think, you know, they're looking at the bigger picture and knowing what's the bigger prize per se. And it didn't help them that even getting into the weekend prior in the quarterfinals that they were already banged up again, huge Magnus Corona, a big proponent of the national championship in 2022 was hurt um, before going even into that weekend. So uh, at the end of it, uh, you know, all you can do is you go through it the same way. You really can't change what you do, Noah, because at the end of it, um, if you take off the foot, the ga- uh, if you take your foot off the gas, my goodness, it's been a crazy. <laughs> yeah. I apologize, dude. It's crazy. Anyway, I'll finish my thought and I'll kick it back to you. Um, for those wondering, it's been a very, very long weekend of prep and you know some other things that are happening on the personal side of things for me, which are finally going in a positive direction, which is great. Um, but at the end of it. You, you just have to kind of do what you've been doing. You got to have a good regular season to put yourself in a position to um, have a good pairwise ranking, to be able to go into the NCHC playoffs. Because at the end of the day, 
you come into the NCHC fifth overall, you have to essentially win the tournament, you know, win the frozen faceoff to get into the tournament. Denver has a luxury where they can sort of play back a little bit because they have a spot there, right? They're trying to stay healthy. Whereas if you have a bad showing in the non-conference, if you have a bad conference record, then you're fighting for every single inch. I mean, look at Colorado College there. They were one win away from having an auto bid if they defeated the Huskies, right? Right. Ask Alaska, right? They had to sit on their hands and knees essentially while they slid down the proverbial pairwise board because, well, at the end of the day, everybody else above because, them, well, them won. Because, because of Cornell, actually, you know, exactly. in some senses. <laughs> yeah, if you want to be specific. But at the end of it, right, you have to be able to go out and win and if you get there healthy, you cross your fingers to it. Great. Um, at the end of it, you know, all 16 teams that make the tournament are good teams. Um, and if they're not, hashtag AIC, um, you still go out and play the game. Right. Yeah. So that's all you can do. Yeah, and a great coaching staff to boot, right? David Carl enters his sixth season for this program. Um, you know, there's not much more that you need to say about David Carl. I mean, he just, everything that he brings to the table uh, is spot on. Uh, Tavis McMillan in his ninth season, I tell you what, we talked about this last year. They still have his initial photo up that's behind him. And I swear, he's got that like set. He's got like his hand is like, his head is like in his hand. And it's like this like depressed portrait. Like somebody painted it in like the 1800s. It just, it cracks me up every time time i see it because he just he looks like a dude pondering every life decision he's ever made up to this point um <laughs> but and then dallas ferguson in his sixth year and then ryan massa as well and uh his third season uh rounding out the coaching crew nick um i mean this is this is a group that i uh, like most of these teams you know are in the nchc they have a very good uh captain and crew at the helm trying to run the ship here um uscho ranks this team at number four in their preseason poll nick um i mean for a for a team that actually had quite a bit of turnover 10 freshmen on this roster nick i mean we have them at number one in the nchc i mean is this a team that could still have a little bit of flux all things considered i mean I mean, there's always that chance, right? Um, now, granted, you look at the 10 freshmen, they're pretty damn good <laughs> freshmen, right? Um, but again, well, that helps, right? <laughs> but, you know, if you look at other recruiting classes, you know, the, should say, we say the, the clout that this group brings, you know, the, the sort of the star power, it's there, um, to say it lightly. Um, and let's not forget David Carl, 2023 USA World Junior head coach of the U18, right? So you don't, that doesn't just get handed out in a rotation. That's an earned, very respected, honored to be able to have that coach. And uh, let's just say that it makes his recruiting probably quite a bit easier. Some bloodlines also make it easier. So we'll go through the newbies. In fact, let's do that right away here, Noah. Um, let's talk about the 10 freshmen yeah. and then talk about um, this team didn't have anybody transfer um, into the program. They had only three transfers out. So let's talk about the additions and then some of the subtractions from Denver. Yeah, uh, four defensemen, five forward, and a and a goaltender here uh, for the freshman class coming in. Like we said, a very big group of ten here. Uh, let's start. Uh, maybe we'll start with the goaltending position. That's probably uh, the easiest one to single out for obvious reasons. Uh, Freddie Halk, by the way, uh, probably easy to single out if he was in a crowd of people. By the way, six six yeah. two twenty, uh, coming Dude. from Camrose in the AJ. He's a Cochrane, Alberta native. Um, uh, uh, he went 20, 22, and one, a uh, 305 and a 910 with three shutouts. Uh, 
in the AJ. And then um, I, over, over the course of the season, I should say, he played for Lloydminster to start the season uh, and then ended up uh, where he is now. Um, finished the year going with a 915 and a 263. Again, both of the teams that he played for, um, not exactly the greatest team. So, again, kind of misleading as far as some of the numbers are concerned here. Um, but yeah, very curious to see. I mean, with that size, if you can get him to anticipate play well enough, I mean, you're talking about uh, a team that is looking forward on the stat sheet here. Uh, Magnus Corona, of course, you know, finishing his senior year last season. Matt Davis will be a junior this upcoming season. Jack Caruso, uh, of course, uh, would be a senior this year. Only had three contests for him last season where he saw any sort of action. So uh, adding another goaltender in the mix, it's never going to hurt um for this group and yeah i'm very curious to see just with that size if he's able to assimilate any part of his games the division one level he has the build he clearly has the strength now it's all about with the goaltending position can they fine-tune him into that goaltender i don't know that he's going to get a real great look i would say in his first year not to say that it couldn't happen Right. Um, but he's definitely a guy that I look at that I kind of have that feeling of similar to with Dr- James Gray in St. Cloud, where it's like he's maybe more of a two or three year guy before you really start to see him flourish to his full potential. But certainly a, a great build, Nick, to you know start with. I mean, six, six, Nick, you could only dream of such things. I have and it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I had growing pains till I was 20. I got to be honest. It's, it, careful what you wish oh, for. I, and I hit. I hit my head on everything and people like you keep asking me to reach for things on the top shelf. So, I mean, I don't know that it's all that exciting. I... The view is better. <laughs> air, air's a little thinner. Yeah. Air's a little thinner though, but I'm great at concerts. So, well, there you go. Everybody's <laughs> going to have their skill set. <laughs> my, mine's clearly very diminished here. Uh, unlike a lot of these uh, defensemen that are coming in for this program, by the way, Nick, like you mentioned, a couple of really good players on the back end. Uh, Kale Ashcroft, of course, 37 points for him with Tri-City last year in the usual. Um, you know, Garrett Brown coming in. He's a San Jose native playing for Waterloo last season. He's six foot four, very tall defenseman. Fourth round pick of the Jets. Yeah, fourth round pick of the Jets uh, had a, just under 20 points last season on the back end. Alternate captain, good leader. Um, you know, and one of the things, uh, just looking through a couple of these players and their bios too, um, a lot of them, and I don't know if this is a stage quote or not, you kind of hope that it's not, but a lot of guys talk about academics, right, being an important part. And I, Denver is not an easy university to get into. Yeah, I agree. Easy. And you know, I, I definitely would not be shocked that David Carl looks for guys that are very cerebrally sound on and off the ice. Um, yep. And I think that that's something that, uh, you know, stands out here. Boston Buckberger, which is a great name that on a variety of fronts. That uh, wins the offseason. <laughs> <laughs> definitely has to be a farm boy from Saskatoon, right? Uh, so he's from Sask, 5'11", 172, played with Lincoln in the usual last season. Uh how about this, Nick? 45 points in 62 games, 13th That's in the gross. league in assists with 36 last season. Um, obviously, the production is there. Um, see, again, this is very much a David Carl mix. Guys that are good 200-foot, two-way defensemen that can bring some offense and punch. punch. Uh, Zeev Bium uh, from San Diego, California. Bium. Yep. Uh, Bium. Yeah. Try. I, I would like to not to. <laughs> How's that sound? Uh, U.S. under 18 team for here for him. Um, and I uh, obviously had a great year, 40 points in 63 contests for him Other last season. Um, Shy William. So, yeah. Wow. I, I blood suppose, lines. 
I suppose yep. that makes sense. Uh, well, yep. talking about blue lines here, Nick, I, again, Denver picked first for a reason yep. because of this group, this defensive core that you look at all of these guys. And again, you've got four players and you're like, man, it's hard to see any of them sitting, not dressing yep. for these games. I, I would say that's got to be a pretty good start for the pioneers. Big start. Um, and again, Zeev, if he's anything like, you know, shy, um, Definitely some offensive firepower that goes with it. And as you mentioned, a good two-way defenseman with all four of them. Again, if you were Denver, um, David Call preaches the hockey IQ side of things. And uh, let's just say that, you know, those programs, you know, the U18 program, Tri-City, Waterloo, and Lincoln, um, all really good development spots for defensemen. And uh, again, their accolades and their stats would seem to support that. Yeah. Uh, forward side here, Nick, I, this name I'm going to butcher as well, too. For those who are curious, if Nick's having a tough time, I worked 14 shifts in 17 days, so I'm having a tough time, too. I'll be honest with you. Um, I think it's Kieran Seabrian. Seab- oh, I'm looking for my Kleenex. <laughs> um, you're looking for your fiddle, which is a size too small, right? Um, yeah, that too. <laughs> he's a, he's actually a Denver native, though. 6'2", 194 on the forward side. Played for Tri-City uh, for three seasons. I uh, had 47 points in 61 contests last season. My favorite part of his bio, though, is uh, says competed at the Quebec International Pee Wee Tournament in 2016 with the Colorado Thunderbirds organization. I'm like, wow, we're really digging back into the... Yeah, we are. The archives for the for for reference and comparison, I guess spring of 2016, I would have just finished my freshman year of college. So um, don't even ask about me. I won't. I won't. Uh, Sam Harris. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, a lot of guys from San Diego, by the way, in California, there are quite a few actually in this group. Uh, Sam Harris, uh, one of those six foot oh one ninety playing for Sioux Falls last season. Fifth rounder for Montreal had 91 points in 116 contests over the course of two seasons for Sioux Falls. Yeah, it's very solid. And, you know, one thing to kind of note too is Sioux Falls was not the greatest team uh, in the past couple of years. So, again, really just tells you how impressive uh, that is. Um, Peter LaJoy um, coming from Danbury, by the way, in the Null. And imagine getting the hell out of Danbury. My oh, God. my gosh. For those who don't know, Danbury was bad last year. Like- what seven and like 50 some for their like, record like criminally bad uh the worst we were looking it up because we were trying to see how they compared they swept their last uh weekend of the regular season though the only time they did all year um but hey, uh, Patrick, I mean, they won when didn't they have like a 30 or almost 40 game losing streak yes they went from october to almost march before winning a hockey game um god it was bad so we were looking at, like at what one of the worst teams you know, was how many wins it was. And I think we ended up finding out, I think it was five wins total uh, on the season was the worst team. It was some team back in like 2005, 2006, the first year that they started keeping stats. Um, For comparison, by the way, the Minot Minotauros, their first season in 2011, they only won seven as well. So um, yeah, not great for Danbury. Coached by Patrick Stepan, by the way. So, uh, you oh know, boy. well, maybe coughing up too many pucks in the open nets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you definitely don't want to roll over, you know, like a no. you know, like a hockey puck over a hockey stick. You know, that, no. that every time I watch that though, like you got to feel for him. Could have happened to literally there's, anybody. There's just there's no way. Like just the timing, it's almost comic when you think about that the puck has to hit some kind of a rut, little something on the ice. Raiders are trying to sweep it in and then to have the Oilers go back the other way with less than a well, second. Well, that's 
that's the thing. How do you let the play go back through four other guys and end up that's in the back of the net? That's the biggest thing. Uh, speaking yeah. of someone who does like to put the puck in the net, though, Peter LaJoy, by the way, he's from Evergreen, Colorado. He did play for Danbury last season, 5'7", 165 here, Nick. Um, different territory. Oh, my God. Yeah, definitely a different build. Um, had that's four points sick. Had four points in 37 contests with Danbury um, last season. I, again, it just... Yeah, it's hard to take anything from Danbury's stats just because just yeah. because of how much they struggled last season. Uh Miko uh Matika, I think, Matika. from yep. from Finland played for Waterloo 6'3, 201, third rounder of Arizona in the 2022 draft, a very big body. Um 19th in the league, 55 points overall for him. Uh again, uh played in the U18 Worlds. Uh, in 2021, had 54 points in 46 contests for his U18 team back in 2019-20. So obviously a lot of production there. Um, and then the last person on this list here, uh, Alex uh, Weirmar. Weirmar. Uh, oh even, my gosh! I even put it. I even put it in quotations for you. Oh, I'm not looking at your list. That's why I'm on the DU website. Yeah, so, yep. yeah. Um, so that would be why. Uh, 61197. As you can tell, I clearly don't watch the U.S. under 18 team as I probably should. Um, two seasons with the program, of course, 26 points in 55 games last season. Um, nine points the year before. Uh, again, anytime you're playing for the U.S. under 18 team, I think there's kind of enough to be said there, Nick. Yeah. Uh, this group can play. Uh, this forward group strikes me a little bit more as... Uh, um, a good mix of skill, but uh, probably two or three guys that are like big bodies, physical power forward type, like to be around the crease kind of thing. Um, you know, some gritty goals around the front of the net here. I, what do you pull from this freshman group? Uh, if we can ever say their names appropriately, apparently still some high skill, uh, but more so, you know, with the big bodies, big reacher, you think, you know, puck protection, you think possession when you think of these guys, right? Um, We'd love to see them skate. I know uh, Weiermeyer and Weenum uh, can skate like a bat out of hell, for lack of a better phrase. But uh, Matika, again, you know, you always talk about the European style of play. Definitely more on that possession side of things. So I think, and I think, isn't he a natural center? I believe he is. Um, with uh, when I was looking up uh, some stats with him, but um, again, a good mix, right? Some size, uh, maybe some potential with some guys like LaJoy, as you mentioned, coming from a a pretty tough program. I, you know, you can't really extract individual, you know, Shelly Prowlis from, you know, that kind of a program and that kind of a year. So I think there's more to be there that he will show, uh, especially if Denver's calling you. I think there's some underlying uh, skill sets there. So, but again, David Carl, a good mix up and down their incoming roster, Noah. But um, with that, that also means they have to replace a few people, right? Again, three transfers and seven guys that either turned pro or aged out. Uh, let's run through those names here quick. Yeah, definitely. And I was trying to pull up the the rank live transfer portal thing because we don't have it listed here. And of course, I can't get it to load. I can't get it to load. So I wonder if I can find it here. Uh, Yeah, well, I we I usually I don't. So I don't write the notes for the men's in case you guys didn't know this. So I only have the women's one. That sounds like if I do, they're they're pretty much, you know, put into the trash bin is what it sounds like. So. Yeah, well, well, because I'd like to pull up the stats. I don't see any stats today, Nick. Just throwing that out there. Anyway, Brett Edwards, of course, is a senior. Had a great year last year. Uh, he's headed to Northeastern. Uh, Owen Cesar um, is uh, going to be a junior this upcoming season. He's headed to Bowling Green, um, mm-hmm. which, yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm, ju- I'm just going to step around that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Tyler Haskins, uh, he'll be a sophomore this upcoming season. Upcoming season. He's headed to Mankato. That's a bit of a interesting 
Uh, and Haskins actually had, um, if I recall, I actually played in a fair amount of the games for Denver. In fact, I've got their um, 13 media day. And I think the 13, 13 games was 13. So yeah. not too surprising. I mean, he wants more opportunity. I bet Mankato is going to give it to him. So not too surprising. Yeah. Um, uh, Owen Azar had uh, six points last season and Brett Edwards, uh, if I can find it here, I just had it up and I couldn't find it. Um, yeah, Brett Edwards actually had five points in 38 five. contests last yeah. season. So uh, Casey Dornbach, uh, of course, he aged out. He had a, a tryout offer with the Minnesota Wild. He had 34 points in 40 contests last season. That's a tough loss, of course. Um, after his senior season, Mike Benning, who, of course, we really have raved about. Uh, he was fourth on the team. Also with 34 points, of course, he, the highest scoring defenseman on this group, uh, he's with the Florida Panthers organization. Um, Kyle Mayhew as well. Uh, he's headed to the Colorado Eagles. Um, Lane Krenzen, the defenseman, has aged out. Magnus Krona, of course, with San Jose. So, again, we talked about the goaltending piece here. Uh, are they going to take a look um, to see uh, if Matt Davis is going to be the guy or is Jack Caruso or a freshman goaltender going to get do they rotate? Do they do a one, two? Who knows? Right. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Justin Lee, of course, uh, on the back end. Yeah. He's with Wilkes bear um, and the penguins organization. Then Carter Mazur, of course, he's with grand Rapids in the AHL, although I don't think he will be for long 37 points for him last season. So, um, their biggest returner this upcoming year, of course, uh, for this group. Yeah. Massimo Rizzo, um, 46 points, obviously very good player. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, this team, Nick, uh, they just find a way, like you mentioned, when you, when you're talking about, you know, David Carl's pioneers it, through and through the guys that return always seem to get better. They seem to play cohesively very well as a unit. And I would say Denver is probably one of the easiest places for freshmen to find success because they are well insulated with a veteran laden core. Um, and they're guys that are ready. You know, it's not guys that are thrust into the limelight too early. It's guys that are almost overripe and ready for the opportunity. Um, right. It 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 will be exciting for this Pioneers team, even with the amount of turnover. It's not often that you see that much turnover for a team that we have picked number one in the conference. But like I said, all the parameters that we've outlined above, it's it's hard to count. As much as we've talked about Duluth in years past about their success at playoff time, right now Denver is the team that it's hard to count them out of anything until you finally see it before your eyes because they are poised, I think, for another great season. They really are, and uh, they're going to have to start it um, off on a pretty tough note for their schedule, right? Well, so let's talk about that yeah. briefly here, Noah. Um, actually, starting with four on the road to open yeah. up, and they're not short traveling. They're actually going to head to um, Fairbanks. They're going to open up on the road against uh, the Nooks on the 7th and 8th, and then from one coast literally to the other, they'll travel out east to Providence to face uh, them on the 20th after a week off and then at Boston College on Saturday. So I back to back out east before coming home to face Augustana and then Air Force um, and then a home and home with Colorado College as their first NCHC conference opponent. They do then go non-conference for now and travel to Tempe to face Arizona State before opening up the bulk of their NCHC schedule and one, two, three weekends at home, Omaha, Yale of all teams, and then North Dakota to round out um, December before finishing off essentially the virtual first half on the road against uh, the Broncos at Kalamazoo. So uh, it's not an easy 
first few weeks for this squad. No, again, a lot of travel and especially for a team that has got 10 freshmen in it. Right. Um, this is going to force them to uh, really try to be ready early, because as we've seen with St. Cloud in years past, right, sometimes your non-conference schedule can be a little bit of a buoy in terms of the pairwise and, uh, you know, Granted, the Alaska teams have kind of seen a resurgence, but uh, this is not an easy schedule to get things started. Yeah, certainly not. Fairbanks will be an interesting test to see how that Nanooks team responds. They lost quite a few bodies last season. Week off, like you said before, playing the Friars and the Eagles. And then that Augustana Air Force weekend, it actually flip-flops with CC. So uh, they have Augustana the first night, Air Force the second night, CC is flipped. They have Air Force the first night and Augustana the second. So that's kind of a cool little a four-team soiree, so to speak. Um, and then they get to see the Tigers the week after, so you get to kind of put that litmus test to the test um, and see how they match up against other teams. And then, of course, uh, the gold pan battle there. And then Arizona State, Omaha, like you mentioned, um, starting to get into the bulk of uh, that NCHC and future NCHC action as well, too. So, I mean, I like the schedule. I mean, it's definitely uh, an interesting mix. I think one of the things that, uh, and of course, schedules are set well in advance, but I think if you're David Carl, you've got to like the fact that I, you know, you had great success in the conference last season. This schedule is very much a first half non-conference schedule where you're going to get a bunch of different looks from a bunch of different teams, from a bunch of different conferences. And I think that that is going to really help Denver is that they're going to be able to kind of handle a variety of opponents, play styles. Let's be real play on the East coast is different than play, you know, in the NCHC versus the big 10. They're all a little bit different. I still can't get over the fact that Minot state is going to have them on December 30th. It still blows my mind. Um, and then, yeah, they have a couple more non-conference games before seeing the Huskies, uh, St. Cloud, both of their games on the back half of the schedule, Nick. So if you want to kind of run us through that one as well. Yeah. So back half of the schedule, again, you mentioned the exhibition game with Minot state, um, Good luck. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, yeah. Um, and then it's Niagara at home. So again, their last non-conference uh, weekend on the docket. And then they host St. Cloud State. Then it's four on the uh, four straight in the road at Omaha, then at North Dakota. Uh, then it's at home with against Western Michigan on the road against Duluth at home versus Miami for their only matchup of the season. Then they travel to St. Cloud before that gold pan rematch again at CC before finishing off the regular season at home again against the Tigers before the NCHC quarterfinals take place. So again, we talk about the gauntlet of the NCHC schedule, Noah. Um, they only get to face Miami once, so that's kind of crappy for them, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, but again, as we talk about it, the NCHC, it's you have to have a good first half, but as we've seen over the past couple of years, second half is almost more important because you got to get there. Um, you got to get through it healthy. And more so, you know, if you can sustain that same level of success in the first half through the second half, you're sitting pretty well in both the NCHC as well as in the probably the pairwise rankings as well. Well, and it's going to keep them on their toes. They can't drop, you know, more than maybe one of those games non-conference wise, depending on where those other teams shake out. So you have to have success at that level. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be exciting, I think, to see how Denver responds because, uh, you know, they've got to be bitter about that loss last season. You know, they were a team that really probably should have been in the Frozen Four just based mm -hmm. with their skill set and what they brought in the regular season. They weren't. And that's college hockey. That's playoff hockey. That's NCAA tournament time. And I, I think if you're David Carl, you have to relish the opportunity that this schedule 
will potentially probably get you ready for the variety of teams that you could see during that playoff time should you make the big dance and uh it should be very exciting and uh can't wait to see the Huskies, of course, play this group four times. And uh, St. Cloud's woes at Magnus Arena were a little bit vindicated last season, finally. Uh, so I think this is going to kind of be all-out war, all hands on deck between these two programs. And, uh, Noah, that's how we usually finish off these segments is how does St. Cloud defeat Denver? Now, mind you, uh, St. Cloud not facing them until essentially toward the second half of the uh, of the con- uh of the conference. Hello, Nick. Uh, of the schedule, I should say. Again, first weekend series, again, at Magnus, January 12th and 13th, and then towards the end of March 1st and 2nd, where we'll be at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. So both teams will essentially, you know, we'll have some time to get things put together. Denver, again, 10 freshmen. By that time, probably going to be a well-oiled machine. Um, again, for whatever reason, Magnus is just the building that has given Huskies fits over the years. They did make a split last season. Um, how can they at least do that again? And more so, how can they take more than one at Magnus and more so maybe earn one or two victories at home ice? How crazy could that matchup back at home in the first week of March be, by the way? That could be very pivotal for a lot of things standings and otherwise uh, i'm very curious to see where both these programs are at that time i uh, yeah i think if you're st cloud uh, you love to take the success you had last season by going into denver and replicating that uh, you know you lose a one goal contest the second night you win in overtime the first night you got to feel good about that i if you're st cloud if you finish 500 over the course of four games against these du pioneers i would call it a success based on what we've seen in previous years this is a very good program um, if you're St. Cloud, your first point of attack has to be to test the goaltenders. We talked extensively last season. Magnus Krona was average to maybe a little bit above average, had a great team in front of him. Uh, the goaltending situation will be interesting for this Pioneers club. I, you have to find a way to get in front of these netminders, uh, get near the blue paint in the crease, uh, testing these net minders, filtering everything towards the middle of the ice. That's got to be step one. Uh, this Denver team as well, too, loves to be high-flying, high-skill. You can't be taking any penalties against this group. You turn If you turn it into a special teams battle, uh, it's going to be a tough night, even uh, or maybe even more so, especially on a big sheet like the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. This is a team that can open it up and run and gun. Two very similar teams, if you think about it. I would say St. Cloud probably wins the grit advantage and maybe the goaltending advantage right now. Denver's got some serious high-end skill on their roster and and potent offense where it doesn't take much for them to find the back of the net. So you have to be able to limit chances in the middle of the ice defensively, and you have to create them on your own offensively. Transition game is going to be vitally important. Got to make sure you're not outnumbered and outmanned uh, if turnovers occur. And you got to take care of the neutral zone as well, too. Basically, what it comes down to, Nick, is if you take care of all three zones and score more than the other guys, you're probably going to have a really good night. So uh, what, are you, what are you thinking? <laughs> I'm, I'm John Madden, by the way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're missing the telestrator. That's the only thing you're missing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Those were the days. Um, to me, also for them because again it's not that you can slow down their high flying attack i think you know but you can kind of contain them a little bit right um so how do you do that you can do it one or two ways um if you can do them both uh you're sitting pretty good right first of all your bottom six have to generate possession time uh you have to sort of grind down this denver defense um it's one thing that actually minnesota state was doing very very well for the first 40 minutes of that national championship game before denver 
kind of started to find ways to get out of it. Um, and but when you do that, when you hem Denver in their team because they're so good in you know efficient breakouts out of their zone that they really struggle with sometimes the simple plays out the relief plays, the pop plays. They don't like to do that. I mean, David Carl almost preaches that if we can find a way with to exit the zone with a puck under sick, that's the way we're going to know. And, you know, it's basically a last ditch effort if we have to give it up and try to retrieve it again. So that's one. And number two is similarly for, for St. Cloud in their back end. I think you have to attack at the, uh, at the defensive blue line. I think you do have to force them to give it up and go back and get it again. Uh, one thing that St. Cloud, I think, does have maybe a slight advantage is, again, you got to remember the top four for the Huskies on their D-line are good. Jack Peter, I think, really took a step, especially in the absence of Dylan Anhorn. You still have Josh Lidkey back there. Just those three. If you can be first on the puck and have good support from wingers and centermen down low and efficiently break out of the zone uh, before they can establish their really good forecheck, um, you do yourself a lot of favors. So um, that's, but that is again the challenge, right? Is, you know, Denver, they skate very well. They know how to, shall we say, take away options. They know how to sort of obscure their forecheck a little bit with some of the more modern ways that they're doing it. But if you can find a way to turn the puck up ice quickly, especially if it's below your red line, you're sitting pretty. That's how you have to do it in my, uh, my vantage point, and as you mentioned, uh, St. Cloud has D that can get the puck to the net. So it might be just that simple to get the pucks through. Denver does like to block shots when they're in their defensive posture. So if you can get it through those layers and then look for those rebounds, especially on goaltenders that maybe you know aren't Magnus Corona, for lack of a better word, um, you give yourself a chance. Yeah, you know, actually, oddly enough, I was thinking about how much they would miss a guy like Leo Gruba, you know, in that lineup against these Denver Pioneers. I just like to twist the knife unintentionally, don't you? (laughs) Well, if if you want to uh, maintain a more calmer posture here, Nick, uh, and you would like to learn all about your Huskies, by the way, and the guys that are currently on the roster, CenterSU.com and Huskies Illustrated, great place to go. You're home for all things St. Cloud Hockey, latest news and photos of your favorite Huskies. Um, and a good chance to stay wild and up to date with all things in the state of hockey um, with the Soda Pod, great sponsor of the Huskies Warming House podcast. And very excited as we get ready for hockey season here, Nick. Next week is NCHC Media Day recap. We'll kind of compare those uh, preseason rankings to where we have all the teams kind of shaking out and really talk about your thoughts. You've got a chance to listen to uh, the majority of the happenings at media day. So we're excited to talk about that. Always fun to, to break down that day and then look back on it in about six months and go, wow, we were wrong about that. Um, Everything actually, but that's pretty much next week will be our second to last preview for the series of 16 last one on the women's side, WCHA preview number five, the St. Cloud state Huskies women's hockey program. Excited to jump into that. And in the following week, we'll be recapping both the women's and the men's games as both teams are now finally underway at that point. And the men's recap for their NCHE preview at number two to follow. And then from there on out, Nick, it is all hockey all the time uh, here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Anything oh, else? That, that. Yeah, it, it, great time. Like you said, it really kind of felt like it snuck up on us, though. I mean, we had it marked on the calendar, but. <laughs> oh, yeah. You kind of. I don't know. It's, it's almost like, you know, it's there, but it's not like you're, you know, in a prison cell, you know, you're not marking tallies every day. So, you <laughs> oh, know, you're then, not. Oh, I suppose I better get the, get the uh, roofing and wall company here to maybe, I mean, I've been doing that. I should I not have been. <laughs> I was well, excited. Are you, are you using Sharpie or are you using a, you know, a clothespin? 
I more what like it. What do they sneak in to, you know, under under the wraps there they're in the cafeteria? I say a prison shiv's a prison shiv. I don't. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Jeez. You can tell it's it's that definitely the end of the episode. Yeah, it certainly yeah. is. And we we won't keep people any longer excited to talk St. Cloud hockey from here on out. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. Timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL! Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.